Imagine if the U.S. men's or women's national team was getting so badly racially abused by American fans that like Joe Biden had to make a statement. That's what we're talking about. That's truly, truly troubling. Uh, game three of the NBA Finals was this past Sunday, and the Bucks are back in town, baby. Home cooking, <laughs> obviously treating the Milwaukee Bucks uh, very well. Uh, Giannis yeah. Antetokounmpo looked uh, about as comfortable at the line as one could be uh, when they're not like in a jacuzzi. Bucks won one twenty <laughs> to one hundred. The series is two one. Renee with uh, game four coming uh, Wednesday in Milwaukee. I'm wondering, what do you think? Bucks going to make this 2-2? I do not think Bucks are going to make this 2-2. <laughs> I, think, I think that when we said Suns in five, I believe that that was the Bucks win. I, I was telling a lot of people, the Suns are a dominant team. They're a great team. It's really, really hard to beat a team four straight times in a row. I don't care how good you are as opposed to how not great they may be. Not saying the Bucks aren't great, but it's just very hard to do. So you kind of knew that the Suns were going to drop one, and that's their one. That's about it. I think that that's it. Let me play devil's advocate. And I have, I did pick the Suns to win this series. Um, It feels to me like Giannis at the five and kind of like more generally the uh, just saying Giannis, you're big, go down low and score over everyone with hooks and everything is much like Chris Paul making decisions in the pick and roll. Not really a thing that the Suns can do anything about, especially if, uh, you know, you get Aiden in foul trouble in the course of doing that. Now, there's there are some weird things, right? The first, I think if you look at the two 40-point games, right? Uh, Giannis in the first 40-point game was, like, hitting all these weird floaters that you're like, wow, where did that come from? And then game three, 13 of 17 from the line. It's amazing how different he looks when he's not scared to have the ball and go to the line and, and is willing to go down there and just be downhill and aggressive, he's the two-time MVP. Is there an adjustment the Suns can make against that? And can that be enough to extend this series to six or seven? I mean, I always think that, first of all, let me just speak to the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Okay, <laughs> He's been reading the press clippings. Yes, he has. You got to remember how competitive NBA players are, professional athletes are. Any athletes in general are just naturally competitive. So while everyone has been talking about Chris Middleton and how he's been carrying the team and all this and that, Giannis has been reading the press clippings. So Giannis wanted to come through and show everybody, yes, I'm that guy. Two 40-point games in a row. Just so people can kind of understand the thought process because that's how athletes work. Like, he says, oh, okay, y'all think I can't carry this? You think I Mm -hmm. can't score? So, two, and then to answer your question, I do think that there are things you can do against Giannis, though. I really do. I think, first of all, you have to make sure that in the open court, he's a nightmare to guard. So yeah. that starts on the offensive end, take good shots, take care of the ball. But on the other end of it, you have to create a crowd, create a wall. We talk about it all the time, but you just have to, on players that have a weakness from the outside, you have to make it every time they come into the paint, you see multiple bodies, not just one-on-one, not just a quick stunt. And I know they have shooters, so I get that part too, but you got to pick poison. That's why it's called pick a poison. It's not going to be <laughs> yeah. easy either way. <laughs> But you just can't let Giannis go one-on-one to the basket, fillet, finger roll, dunk. Like, that's his specialty. So anytime in the playoffs, you don't want people doing their specialty, kind of like a Chris Paul, to your point where that mid-range game, I mean, he's getting all he can. All you can eat buffet. That's Chris Paul right now. Well, when Chris, you know, it's Bud was getting a lot of criticism, as is normal, about the pick-and-roll coverage after game one. You know, Chris Paul is just making all the right decisions. Him and Booker, they're just like torturing uh, buck switches and defenders and they get the right person on them and then they just go to work. But it's like, one, this series is about offenses and not defenses to me. And then two, Chris Paul, it's like when you say pick your poison, the poisons are like 
cyanide and Drano. Like they're yeah. both literally will Deadly. kill you. There's both both are terrible. Like there's no good. <laughs> there's actually no good answer. And and oh. I that's why I still think I, I think that this could go six or seven because if Giannis is going to be this guy and is going to be that aggressive yeah. and not going to care about getting fouled. I think he's capable of putting up these numbers every night, but then it's just a matter of. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts because there was a lot of talk about Giannis and, yeah. and Chris Middleton, but usually when a team loses, you got to talk about, well, what happened when you were rolling? So we, we know that Devin Booker struggled from shooting a little he bit, struggled. three for 14 it's not happen with again. 10 points. Right. You know, he didn't play the entire fourth quarter, but that was more so because the game was a 20-point game and it yes. was almost like, a, all right, let's see what we can do. But what are your thoughts on Booker's play in games three? I mean, Chris Paul still had 19-9, and nine, so you can't <laughs> – right. I mean, he's still doing Chris Paul things. But what are your thoughts on Devin Booker, who, as we know, has carried him? I think everybody – listen, you're going to have a bad game. Every Everybody's going to have a bad game uh, over the course of a seven-game series where – the other team is just trying to stop you or limit the things that you want to do, but there's, they're not going to be able to keep Booker down like this for more than this game. I think, you know, just, he's just proved that whether it's even when his shot isn't going in the way you expect, which it really hasn't over the course of this playoffs, he just kills you at the line, absolutely destroys you at the line. He, and, and, that was the thing that really wasn't there this game. Only three out of five from the line and only five free throws uh, tells you something. Now, uh, we haven't uh, talked about Scott Foster, and that's uh, for good reason. I'm glad we don't have to talk about him in the context of this game. But only, but only five free throws. I don't think yeah. that will happen again. But uh, for both teams, to me, it's really just it's about offense. And I think the Bucks have a harder time scoring in a way that is uh, that allows the team to build momentum. You saw in game two, right? Yeah. Giannis goes crazy, but Middleton kind of took a back seat with Giannis, yeah. allowing him to do that. And then when he tried to get into his role to take over, it kind of just wasn't there. He had a hard time getting going. Drew Holiday, obviously, like uh, has had a bad series up until this game. Uh, and then you're just hoping you get something out of, why can I never say his name, uh, Pat Connaughton or Bryn Forbes, whereas the Suns, I feel like they just have an easier time getting into their offense um, in a way that allows other players to score. And speaking of that, I think something that was huge in the game that's not a lot of people are talking about is DeAndre Ayton is the rim protector at the rim. So yeah. when we're talking about Giannis scoring a lot of points in the paint, well, DeAndre Ayton played 24 minutes because he had five fouls. Now, we know the game huge. was out of— That was huge. Like, I think huge. that that needs to be understood, that DeAndre Ayton, even in the first half alone, he had 16 points in the first half and seven for nine shooting in 20 minutes. And then out of the full 24 minutes that he played for the game, he finished with 18. But those five fouls that got him put on the bench— I think that not only changed the dynamics of the Suns' offense, but really that defensive anchor oh, for that sure. somebody that can meet people at the rim. I just felt like the rim protection wasn't there. But if you have your starting center sitting on the bench beside you, I mean, that's going to do that every time. Yeah, it, it just allowed Giannis to go absolutely Crazy. wild down low. Wild down low. I and mean, there's not much you can do with him. Uh, unless you have size to meet size and force to meet force. And with eight and out, like, yeah, that was absolutely huge. I guess we should now mention that the uh, Chris Paul streak of uh, losses oh under, <laughs> under games. I'm, I'm glad that no one's, I, you know, it was a big storyline coming into it, right? Uh, Chris Paul uh -huh. and many other players have had issues with Scott Foster going back uh, years. Scott apparently just has a very quick trigger and is not the kind of ref that you can talk to. Let's just put it that way, which 100. is the, the criticism that many, many players, not just Chris Paul have leveled against Scott Foster. Um, but really not, not the, now the bucks did take, there was a free throw disparity. It was the exact same free throw disparity uh, from the previous game, but in the opposite way. Uh, but that was not really, I don't think that anybody could look at this game and say, oh, the officiating was other than like Aiton getting in foul trouble, which I think was 
did not seem out of the ordinary considering what was going on. Yeah. I'm glad that this is not a storyline. I'm glad too, but I kind of like keeping ref stats. Wow. Like we got the advanced (laughs) analytics that say Chris Paul has lost 12 straight games refereed by Scott Foster. I mean, it's back to 2013 with the advanced analytics. It's an issue. It's a legitimate I mean, you know, like it's a legit wow. when multiple players have the same critique of a ref and it really does seem like the ref is in a player's head. And not only that, but like maybe goes out of his way to call certain things. It is uh, it it's is difficult. a point of discussion. So listen, if it's a point of discussion for fans and us, you know, like fans of the NBA, imagine being the athlete because I, I, I know ima- I know I know certain refs that will not be named that. Everyone in the league knows, all right, you can't really say nothing to him. You know, he don't have thick skin. He got skin, skinny skin is what <laughs> I'm going to call it because some refs do not have thick skin at all. So it's, you know that if you go to them, they're ready to give you a tea. I mean, you they looking at you like, huh, what What you got to say? Because they're ready. <laughs> they're just ready. They carry this energy that it's like they want the conflict. They don't want to talk it out. So I don't mind that this is being brought up because I think accountability was the word for 2020, and we yes. might as well halfway carry it over to 2021. And I think that there's not necessarily a lot of accountability when it comes to refing now. No, not at Shouts all. to Monty and all of my homies that are head of the referee and officials, because I know that they, like, people might not know this, but refs do go back and watch film. They yep. have to uh, they have to report back to their head referee and different things. So they do have a checks and balance system in place. But... Me as a player and me now, you know, as a fan, if we see stats like lost the 12 straight and look, we're not going to blame it on Scott Foster. I get that. But when you see (laughs) or when you if you can do a poll and you can ask all the athletes around the league what they feel about a certain ref. And if there's this overwhelming feeling, I think that that needs to be held accountable. I think that's where the accountability has to come in. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Any predictions going forward? Yeah, I still think Suns in five. Uh, I think that they'll win the next two. I, you know, like you said, it's hard to hold Devin Booker down, and he had a terrible yeah. shooting night. DeAndre Ayton was in foul trouble. The Bucks killed it. So not taking anything away from the Bucks because, like I said, I knew in the beginning, you can't. it's hard to sweep a team. I just think the Suns, man, they're healthy and they're hungry. They're healthy and hungry. What do you think? I agree with you. I, I will say, though, I think the Sarish injury is a little bit more impactful than maybe general basketball audiences are aware. Because, like, obviously, Dario Sarich was kind of a cult figure uh, in process era of Philadelphia, but not not really a name guy. But, like, it has size. And with him out, now you're playing Kaminsky. Uh, you're having to play Frank Kaminsky. And when you play Frank Kaminsky, you know, the the reaction is like, why are you playing Frank Kaminsky? Because you have to like that. You just have to have him out there. And uh, with Kaminsky as your backup big and if Aiton gets in foul trouble, it's just like a it's just a a slight fraying of the Suns ability to to put out the answers that they have been putting out over the course of this playoffs. That said, I still think it's going to be Suns. I'm going to say in Suns in six. I think the Bucks get another one. But I think that whoever wins the road game, the first road game is going to win this series. And I think it's going to be the Suns. I think just offensively, yeah. they, they, they have the key to unlock everything that the Bucks try to do defensively. Joining us now are the hosts of the Old Man in the Three podcast, J.J. Reddick and Tommy Alter. Folks, welcome to Take Line. It's so great to have you. Great to be here. We uh, This is like a new thing for Tommy and I, where we get to go on podcasts together. This is our <laughs> second invite. This is a big deal. This is a big really deal. How are you liking it? How are you feeling about this? A lot of people invite us places. Yeah. I don't get it. Why do people invite us when it's coming from to Tommy Alter? That is a wild yeah. statement. <laughs> Tommy got Tommy uh, got invited to do, I think it was the Pelicans podcast this past winter as like a solo oh. guest. Okay. And it was, I'm not gonna lie, oh. it was like a proud dad moment for me. 
I was super stoked. I like that. It was that. a great experience. Shout out to, I don't remember their names, but those guys were good guys. Shout out to them. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, game three was a Sunday. Um, Bucks finally showed that they, they, they have some offensive punch outside of Giannis. Um, do you think that anything that happened in that game uh, changed the tenor of this series at all? I have to be honest about something. Um, okay. And I, well, look, yes. I knew I knew we were going <laughs> to talk about the playoffs, the finals. So yesterday afternoon, uh, and it had been planned for a couple of weeks. We we hosted in our backyard uh, an oyster, uh, basically an oyster truck. It was, except it was a boat uh, planted in our yard. And okay. originally wow. it was going to be like our neighbors. You know, we've got to know people in our neighborhood. We're going to have our neighbors over. And then it was like, should we invite this person? Should we invite that person? Before you know it, it was like a party of 40 people. Anyways, it was four to seven. I had a game lined up, ready to go. One thing led to another. And we started drinking. I started opening up some bottles of wine. Uh, we have some cigars here. I'm not a big cigar smoker, but I passed out some cigars. And next thing I know, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go watch the game. And the game was fucking over. <laughs> what? It was like it was like ten forty five. So you know nothing about the game. I watched. I mean, I watched some highlights today. To, I'm like, to be fair, to be fair, the game was over in like the second quarter. So yeah, you could have been okay, you could have been I an love. hour late, and you would have and you you wouldn't have missed anything. For the record, JJ's just but was like, the you party turned though? Was yeah, was it turned? We actually so like we live um, so we have a place in Sag Harbor, and it's like these tiny lots. And so, like, when you turn music on outside, like, the whole neighborhood can hear the music. So we had a, one neighbor who came over a couple of times and asked us to keep it down. But keep in mind, this was on a Sunday at, like, 6.30 yeah. in the evening. Yeah. And, like, I know the neighbor. He doesn't have young children. So I don't know why he was yeah, being such a curmudgeon. A, I don't know why he was being a curmudgeon. A, that's a – you just got to – We weren't like, being okay. disrespectful. It wasn't like we were playing that's EDM Harvard. music. That's Pre-10 p.m. Pre-10 p.m. Yeah, pre-10 p.m. And I didn't invite the guy. I know. I didn't invite the guy. There were some neighbors we left out. I'm not going to lie. Well, you know what? He's definitely not getting invited now. you threw a block party. You threw a block party. That's what that's called. You know that, right? I know. And you didn't invite your neighbors not to the all block the neighbors, party. You didn't invite not the- all the neighbors. I didn't invite all the neighbors. Correct. Oh wow. Yeah. Correct. Wow. Wow. We had we had leftover okay. oysters. We should have we should have just been more inclusive. <laughs> we should have been more inclusive. <laughs> okay. So then you didn't you didn't watch the game, and that's fine because you guys were flexing that hard <laughs> and not inviting your Hamptons neighbors to the party. But uh, you know, you guys are podcasters. Uh, JJ, you are an active NBA player who has a podcast. Just, I am personally curious, like, how do you, how have you managed to balance that with, with your kind of like your day job and how have you managed to like integrate that into your daily routine? Uh, Yeah. You know, at times it's a little bit of a challenge, especially in season. Uh, What we, what we did and realized last year was, you know, it works really well if we just sort of have a day we record. So we like to record in the off season on Monday and Tuesday and we get it done and then we have the rest of the week. And then we start thinking about this upcoming week, you know, who we have on, what we're, what we're going to talk about on Sundays, but during the season it's, you know, it's hit or miss. And as you guys probably can attest, like NBA players back out of podcasts on a weekly basis. <laughs> I mean, there's some weeks uh, where yeah. you book like two or three people just because I need a backup here. Cause I know this person might cancel. And Tommy does a lot of the booking. Kylie who works for us does a lot of the booking as well. But like we, we have people cancel all the time. It's a, it's a challenge. And I get it. Like, you know, we had drew holiday cancel twice on us because you know, flights got canceled. He didn't get to his hotel room till 10 30. He had a game the next day. We're not going to, we're not going to ha- I'm not, I don't want to record the night before a game at 11 o'clock. I'm not going to make yeah. my guests do it. I will. Right. I'll also say this: when we started, we started uh, the old man in the three and three four two out of the bubble in August, um, and it was like the only sort of thing like this coming out of the bubble. And what was most amazing about that, in retrospect, was we actually were grabbing guys right after games. Nobody right before a game. No, no one where it was like it was going to distract them from the game itself. But yeah. I remember the first episode we did, we did with Dame, and it was like the first week of August or something like that in the bubble. And Dame didn't have a game that day, but JJ had a. We were taping at like nine Eastern or something, and JJ had a wow. game at five Eastern. It was like sometime in the afternoon, and so we were like, "Okay, we're going to be fine." Basically, like because it's the the uh, hotel was very close to the court, so there's not and there's obviously not traffic or anything like that. But 
by like the game went into overtime or something. There was something where the game was going long and it was like 8.30 and the game, JJ was walking off the court. The Pelicans were walking off the court. And I remember like Dame got on the Zoom. We were all on the Zoom early. He was on like 15 minutes early. And he's like, are we going to be like, like I just watched that game. Like there's no way we're starting this thing at nine o'clock. And he was, and he was texting uh, us and Chris, our, our producer the whole time. He basically like, I'm coming, I'm coming. Ended up, pulling up at like 902 or something like that. So it like wasn't even late. Luck- luckily there- we weren't allowed to shower in the bubble. We weren't yeah. allowed to shower was- after luckily. Game. straight <laughs> off, luckily. Straight so off the a court. quick turnaround from Jersey, wow. you know, Jersey off on the bus. It was like 10 minute yeah. turnaround. Yeah, that was, was a good, a good episode too. And you know, we, I, I would say this, like people, you know, people <laughs> on, on social media like to talk shit. You know, if you have a couple bad games or like stop podcasting, yeah. you know, you, what have you, you're, you're, you're turn into a full-time podcaster now you know this i was hurt a lot of the second half of the season so i heard all that shit i've recorded on a game day twice once was uh with dane in the bubble and he we had already said he was going to be our first episode we had to record the other time was in london after we played the celtics me and Kyrie sat Mm. down with some wine and we talked about conspiracy theories and so there's only two times that I've that ever... A, that was a late one. That was a yeah, 2 a.m. That was, that was like was a 2 a.m. That was start. the only two times I've ever recorded on a game day. I've never done... I've never not taken extra shots or not gotten in the But those were after club. the game. Yeah, I'm saying. I've never not... Even on a, on, a, on a practice day or whatever in season, like I've never yeah. not gotten in the cold tub or not done my weightlifting or not taken my extra shots to do a podcast. I get all my basketball work in. The podcast, of course, is secondary. But it is now... It is sort of like a second full-time job. I will say we also so take that haters. We <laughs> we have a show on on our network with Duncan Robinson um, called The Long Shot, a really good show. Duncan and his co-host Davis started it in January. Um, and the thing that Duncan and JJ they have a lot of things in common, basketball wise, obviously. But one of the things they both have in common, personality wise, is they're very regimented. And so they're very much like we're like we do things at a certain time. We don't show up late. We come here. Obviously, things happen, and sometimes. Things get thrown yeah. off, but there are a lot of guys in the league who are not necessarily like that. And so we're not, like, I'm not sure necessarily that we'll do another player, another show with an active player. Like, I'm not sure that there's other people that necessarily can sort of put up with the pressure that comes with doing something like this. You have to have a certain type of personality to really be able to kind of juggle these things and pull it off. Renee would know something about that. Yeah, say. you're preaching to the choir and tell me, look, you're a writer, a producer, entrepreneur. So, like, like, why was this podcast with JJ like something, a project that you wanted to be a part of? Like, what brought you in the fold for this? That's a great question. I've actually never asked Tommy yeah. this question, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to hear this answer. <laughs> well, JJ brought me into the fold. I even only ended up on the show because JJ called me and was like, well, we would always do mailbags and stuff like that, and they would always be fun, and people would seem to like them. But JJ, is, mm-hmm. as you guys know from the show, is very good at hosting it. He doesn't exactly need yep. a second guy there just like blabbing in and when he's talking to to different people and so he asked me if I wanted to do I think the main thing that in terms of the show before we get to the company the show itself I think the thing that I can do if I'm doing my job the right way is keep the ball moving and and because JJ's so prepared for everything that he does sometimes to his own detriment he gets so over prepped for everything there would be times where we would have guests on and he would get stressed out because he's like, I'm not prepared enough, not prepared enough. When in reality, he could have just gone and winged it and it would have been fine. And so it's nice to have like a safety valve of somebody else there who can talk and not necessarily have to be. It's like hard. If you guys know this. You interview people. It's hard yeah, to do a one-on-one yeah. thing for an hour if you don't feel like you really are like locked in 100%. on the subject. So yeah. that's kind of how we got started, you know, with the show. And then the company was just a natural outgrowth I think of the show with, you know, we've had some success obviously. And I think a big thing with the company itself, once we realized we could tape remotely that, that allowed us to, uh, to expand our horizons a little bit because we were doing everything in person and obviously in person is better, but we're doing everything in person pre COVID. And it, what we're talking about with the NBA schedule was not sustainable to do the number of shows that we would have to do if we had to do everything yeah. in person, it's just impossible. Yeah. So even no with a guest schedule, it's even worse. So, um, that I think allowed us to basically realize there might be something here. 
Okay, so JJ, you came with the skill set is what he said, just so you know, since you never heard him say it, he knew he wasn't going to have to hold your hand. He's heard me say it. He He's heard me say it. He just likes getting it out again. He's pretending oh, like, he this, just- is like a, <laughs> this is like a new statement. Okay, but then, all right, so what I want to know then is, one, how does little Yachty end up on your show? And what did he have to say about Interstellar? Like, I got to know. Let's go. Let's hear it. Um, first of all, I just... A lot of people ask us this, like, they're like, how, how do you and Tommy know each other? Do you go to college together? Do you know whatever? And I'm like, no, I met Tommy in a parking lot. Like literally met him in a parking lot in 2016. <laughs> it's true. What? It's true. LA, LA parking lots. You never yeah. know what's going to happen. Parking lot pimping. What's going on? Uh, it's a longer story. We'll get to that. That's the second time we come on. We'll get to that story. All right. Beth. So I think, I think what we've shown with the pod is just the range. You know, we've had on some incredible guests. Stacey Abrams was our second guest. We had on yeah. Bob Iger. We had on coach K. Um, you know, it's just a natural outgrowth of the show that we're going to, we're just going to go into different fields. The Lil Yachty thing was completely because I saw on, I don't even, I wasn't even following him on Twitter, but someone had retweeted his tweet about interstellar. And as anybody who knows me knows, <laughs> I think interstellar is the greatest movie ever. It's the greatest film ever made. <laughs> and wow. he feels the same way. And he said he had watched it 983 times, blah, blah, blah. And so I was, <laughs> I like, you know, I said something back and then he said something back to me. And then we were like, Kylie, let's get little Yaddy on the show. And like within like two days, we had scheduled and recorded it. So it was yeah. like this, this, yeah, and, like 40, and he was like awesome hours. on the show. Um, but basically what he said was like, that he cries every time. He has the same feeling I do. Like I, this is my feeling <laughs> on Interstellar. It is, I love it. it is the greatest combination of storytelling, visual effects, and a soundtrack, a score. And, and Christopher Nolan is, is, he's a master at his craft. And so the combination of those three things, I just, I, I love that movie so much. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. I'm adding it to the list. I have to go watch it. That's all I'll say. You should. <laughs> you mentioned, JJ, you mentioned uh, meeting Tommy in a parking lot, which I think is probably the, a similar experience to the, to the it, it explains a lot about the Tommy Alter uh, experience. Oh, Tommy yeah. Alter, for those of you Here who don't, do not know, oh, is a person is who just going? knows more. He just knows more people than anyone else. Like, <laughs> he's a person who knows a lot of people. So I've always wanted to ask Tommy, like, what is the secret to just, like, meeting a million people? Like, how do you do it? How do you, how does, what is the secret sauce of Tommy well, Alter? I don't think it's a secret. I meet a lot of people because I... To like keep myself pretty busy and I'm in yeah. I'm in a bunch of different I've or I've been in a bunch of different worlds you know in the past whether it be like the entertainment world or the sports world or whatever maybe but I think that one thing and JJ and I both have this in common and uh and we have a you know a friend Sean Feeney who is also really good at this who uh works in like the food space he's in New York he has a bunch of restaurants in Brooklyn is you basically realize that a lot of people are, um, who do certain things are interested in other fields. You know, they don't, they're not necessarily mm. insular. So yeah. it's like people in the food space are interested in sports. People, the joke is always like all rappers want to be NBA players and vice versa. And that's definitely true. Or most, I don't know if you guys realize JJ used to rap. So JJ actually <laughs> wanted to be a rapper. <laughs> oh so he's not an exception <laughs> to this rule, but a lot of rappers want to be NBA players and vice versa. But there's a, there, there's a common thread, um, with that in a lot of different fields. And I think basically like, you know, like putting people together and figuring out ways of uh, doing sort of fun stuff that, you know, are, are additive to, to people. I mean, there's not like a secret mm-hmm. to the sauce or anything like that. It's really just kind of dumb luck more than anything. It's some of it is that, but Tommy's a connector, you know, Tommy is a connector yeah. of people. Sean, our, our friend that he mentioned is the same way. I have become that in it later on in life. I just, I enjoy getting to meet people, connecting them with other people that I think they, you know, would like to meet. We, we've had these dinners uh, last summer in New York. We did like five or six of these. And I mean, the, the, the randomness of the room, it'd be like 15, yeah. 20 people. Yeah. And, you know, it'd be like uh, Tommy's friend, uh, Anna Kendrick, and then like French Montana would show up. 
you know, and we'd have dinner with like all of us. And, th- wow. and then Jimmy Fallon would come. In. I'm not trying to name drop either. I'm just saying like, it's just, it's, yeah, it's so weird. It's you know what? Here's yeah. the deal with Tommy. But the, funny, but the funny thing is you also don't, Tell like it's not like I, I'm not, I'm not like, saying it to Brad. I'm not saying no, no, that. No, I'm just no, saying no, like no, Tommy's no, world I'm saying, is very. I'm large. saying I'm saying after the fact it's fine. I'm saying like I don't say like come to dinner. Anna Kendrick's gonna be there because that <laughs> right, makes never uh, yeah that. that makes it lame. Oh, if you no, that. I wasn't yeah, saying that's that at not, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, we did. I didn't take it that way. I took it as you never know who's gonna pop up at a Tommy dinner. That's how I took know. it. Yes. Like. You never know. He, and that's, he, I mean, there's something. Yeah. He's, he's also like, so Tommy for our listeners. Um, Cause I get asked this a lot. Like who, you know, I'll be on the golf course. And people be like, so I listen to your podcast. Who's Tommy? Who is he? Like, what does he do? Like, what's his backstory? And no one really knows. It's shrouded in mystery. Mysterious man. And he's he a likes it that man. Way. I don't need to spell he it out. He likes it that no, way. If you spell it he out too much, like it. it becomes like weird. Like, I knew Tommy for like three and a half years. <laughs> this was probably like six months before we started uh, our own thing. And like, I didn't even know where he went to college. Like I, I found or how, out. Or how old I was. He didn't even know how old I was. I like that though. And then he decides to like blab about it to everybody. So now I have people coming out of the woodwork. Every three days, he just like decides to just like just the internet. I didn't, not everybody, just, just the internet. <laughs> I'll tell you what I think it is with the secret sauce. If there is such a thing for Tommy, who is a uh, who is a friend of mine, is that you know in these in the kind of spaces that y'all run in, um, there's just like a lot of people that you meet who are trying to to get you to do something or pitch you. I have never seen Tommy try to pitch anybody on anything. He's just like. I think you would like this person. That's it. Uh, and I, to me, that is the, that's like the sauce. Like, I think you guys, I think you two would, would vibe. That's the extent of it. It's never, I have an opportunity. It's never anything like that. It's just like you two would get along. I think you would do something cool if you guys decided to do something cool. That's all it is. Yeah. I love it's it. very, that's it's it. very unassuming and there's no hidden yeah. agenda. And, and I think you're, I think you're spot on Jason. Jason, you should be my manager. Uh, <laughs> um, back to basketball for a second. Um, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> re- there's been so recently turmoil within the Dallas Mavericks front office has, has reached the news. JJ, you've been in the league a long time. Uh, you've been a part of teams that have had like off court stuff and turmoil be part of the the headlines surrounding these teams. Like how how normal or abnormal? is the kind of uh, discourse around the Mavs or any of the teams you've been around. How, how normal is that? Like how, how normal is disagreements, turmoil behind the scenes? Uh, it's a really great question. I, let me first just say that in my two months and change uh, with Dallas, I didn't experience any turmoil of whatsoever. I'm dead serious. Like I had, a great experience with Dallas. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm a free agent this summer, obviously. I don't know what my future holds, but like I would go back and be a math. Like it what I just had a I had a great experience. I left with a great feeling. Um and obviously Rick has 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 moved on and Donnie's moved on. Um so I, I didn't I didn't experience any turmoil there. Um but I always tell people this like the NBA is like it's just drama at your job. Like that's it's I've played 15 <laughs> years. Like I can think of maybe two years where there wasn't like a lot of drama at my job. And I've talked to a few guys who were, you know, in that Warriors run specifically like, you know, 15, 16, that first year with Kevin. And they're just like, it wasn't the NBA. It wasn't real life. It was a fantasy yeah. world for like three or four years. Um, yeah. And so, you know, when I've had those experience, like my first year in Philly, I'll, I'll say like, it wasn't like no season's ever perfect. My first year in Philly, uh, when you have a season like that, where it's just like the right group, right time, all that stuff, you're so appreciative of it. Because mm. uh, you can bring the same group back the next year. Yep. And yeah, Renee, you know this, like somebody, somebody somebody's yeah. going to be a free agent the next year. Somebody may want to take a, a step forward in their career. Somebody may get moved from starting lineup to the bench. Like there's all these variables that happen year to year, even with the same group of people. 
And so when you're in that moment, like I was that first year in Philly, like when you're in that moment and it's so good, you just, you appreciate it so much because it's not, it's not normal. Normal in the NBA is just drama. And, you know, I, we asked, we asked who, JJ, thank you. Who did you. we ask Tommy? Okay, let me tell you. Hold on, I, Tommy, we asked somebody Listen, recently on the yeah. pod about this and I was like, how did you, how did you figure out this season? Cause the season sucked. Like the season sucked. It felt like there was drama yeah. in every, on every team. Everybody's dealing with COVID, all this stuff. And he's like, I just thought about going to work every day and doing my job. And like, that's basically what you got to do in the NBA. Okay, so JJ, I'm glad you said that because with with my team, the Atlanta Dream, some of our dirty laundry was aired on the internet. We've had to suspend (laughs) a player. There's been different things going on. But can you just, because obviously I'm speaking from an ownership position. So people think that I'm just like, of course you would say that when I tell them that, Teams have drama. Like, I've made a public statement about how this is very normal. Teams have drama. Players have drama. Usually, it doesn't get out to the world for people to report on. But can you just speak, Tommy? You know everybody, too. So, like, people don't understand the dynamic of drama is a very normal thing in sports. It's it's interesting, too, because I, I feel like sometimes drama is overblown at times in the media. Like, mm. you know, what they'll, they'll have. What's an, what's an example? So, I, yeah. Well, there was, I, there's, I don't want to throw anybody in the bus because I, I know the writer, but like there was a, there was something written earlier this year about a specific team. And I, I knew for a fact that it was overblown, whatever. And then mm. there's stuff where you're like, how the fuck does that ever not get out? Like how in 2021, like I'm sitting on this information yes. for weeks and no one <laughs> is going to put this yeah. out. Like it's crazy. And you're waiting on the ball yeah, to I'm drop. Like, like you're waiting on the <laughs> Somebody's going to put it out. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's getting fired. But no, so that's, I love hearing you say that so casually. Like, look, in sports on different teams, there's that casualness of there's going to be a little bit of drama. So, but we know something. Okay, there's drama at the college ranks too, but you played under Coach K at Duke for four years. Now, I have... Everybody knows I loved Coach Ariema. I have an affinity, but I know that you and, and Coach K had a, a relationship too. So how has the announcement that this will be his last season, like how has that impacted you? I'm actually, I'm actually happy for him. I'm happy for him because, you know, again, he's been there 40 plus years and that's a hard thing. It's, it's, it's inevitable that you've got to let go of it at some time, but it's a hard thing to let go of. And um, I, I'm yeah. just, I'm happy for him that he's going to be able to, you know, enjoy the rest of his life and, and, and live a, live a long life and get to drink wine and do his gardening. I'm happy for him and all that, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's so interesting. We have such a, we have such a, like a bond with all the players. Like I'm friends with guys that were on his first team back in 1980. And, you know, we, it, it's, it's a recruiting thing. It's, it's, it's whatever it's called the brotherhood, but like it, it actually is pretty real. <laughs> And so because of coach, because he's been sort of that link, just like Gino at, at UConn, um, you know, you have, you have these friendships with guys like, like Quinn Snyder. I, he played, he graduated in 1989 or whatever it was, you know, and, and he's a friend and it's because of coach and, and just the bond that he's built over those years. Uh, Tommy, you're the co-founder of the more than a vote initiative. Um, you just talk about like why that was important and how uh, what it took to get that up and running. I mean, I'll talk about it. Renee can talk about it better than I. I feel. No, you I talk feel about like it, Tommy, like, okay? I'm not even exactly because we're blabbing on about this thing when Renee's sitting on the Zoom. I will just say that there are a lot of people. Well, talk about. I would like to know, like, what, like, how did it become about, like, you yeah. being at the forefront of it? Like, how did it become about? Yes, I became a part of it, yeah. but. I wouldn't have been able to be a part of it if you weren't a part of building well, it. I mean, it's really not, it wasn't really, it's less me. It's more uh, the the crew around LeBron, I think Maverick in particular, but there's a bunch of different people around LeBron made a concerted effort, I'd say, a year and a half ago or whatever, to basically try to like harness his social reach and everything like that to um, to drive political awareness. And they, I think everybody was like, this is a good idea. We should do this. Da, da, da. And then the big thing was um, they hired a guy, uh, Adisu, uh, Demissi, who was a political. Adisu! Yeah, he's like a, po- Adisu. Yeah, he's a cool, he's a political guy. He knows, uh, he knows, uh, you know, John and Tommy and the crooked guys and everything like that. And I think we actually met him through them and they decided to hire him. And 
And he probably deserves the lion's share of the credit in terms of, you know, the stadium ideas and and basically like using the reach of athletes and artists and things like that to actually impact real uh, political change. Because it's one thing to just tweet out like a photo being like, oh, register to vote or something like that. Like, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, anything is good. But it's I think that one of the things that was really cool about the organization and Renee's obviously one of the better examples of this is making actual making an actual impact to the point where you know um politicians on whether it was the other side of the aisle or just like but this people who were not happy that this was happening were 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 infuriated at the success that it was having you know what i mean it's one thing to just be like yeah. it wasn't yeah. even like a shut up and dribble type thing it was like no this is actually annoying <laughs> that they're actually driving real numbers to the polls and stuff like that and so i mean i think it, it's cool in retrospect because i don't think anybody when it started was like this is definitely going to work you know so that's what i was going to ask you did you know it was going to blow like that no no def definitely <laughs> definitely not definitely not but well, hopefully, hopefully uh we can do something like that again you know, I feel like that's a, the, I don't know whether it be for the midterms or for in 2024, but it definitely, uh, it definitely, you know, exceeded, I think, everybody's expectations. More than a vote. Run it back. I have a question. Run it back. I have a question about the, I have a question about the drama. Yeah, go ahead. Drama thing you're talking about. Because yes. uh -huh. this is my, Good. this is my, this is like a media NBA internet question type thing. Don't you think, yeah, and JJ, you should chime in if you, if you, whether this has affected you or not specifically, a lot of times people will take things and they'll like, like so-and-so is not included in a photo or something like that. And they'll just run with it. And they'll be like, oh, they must not like each other because they're not here. Yeah. Things like that that are based on literally nothing. Nobody's saying anything. Obviously people are going to use background sources and off the record stuff. And that happens in all types of journalism. But I do think with the NBA internet, it's gotten, and I don't even dislike, I mean, it's fun, but it also has gotten crazy where people just draw conclusions over the smallest things. And they're like constantly saying like, oh, so-and-so is shading this person. And like, all right, maybe they are, but also you kind of don't know. 100%. I'll just jump in there. Um, I've seen things where players might literally be good friends, but the internet has made them <laughs> not friends because of photos and whatever storyline. I've seen a lot. You know, I've been like, yo, y'all, I'll go into the locker room. See, I'm the type that I'll walk into the locker room. If I read it on the internet, I'll look at them like, yo, y'all good? There's a lot of talk going on out there. Everything all right? Because I'm going to bring it up and bring it to the forefront. Like, I'm hearing y'all don't like each other. Should we move the lockers? What's up? But yeah, I think that a lot of people, when you don't know what's going on, they're just going to run with anything they can see on the Internet. What do you think, JJ? So th this is a very, very small example, a very small. And it's, it's not even important. And I'm only saying it because it, it happened to me recently. But like there was a storyline that like I didn't want to be in Dallas, blah, 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 all because of, you know, what I, what I said on my podcast was basically like you know, David Griffin and I had an agreement. He didn't honor his agreement. Whatever. That's all I said. It, it was it wasn't you know uh, an inclusive thing that like because of that I didn't want to be in Dallas they, they were they were they were different than each other so anyways so I get hurt we got like three games left I get hurt in Memphis and I've been battling this heel injury for for months I get hurt in Memphis I was going home on Thursday um, an off day to see my wife for her birthday and take her to Lucali for pizza which we've done for five straight years. So I'm going home on Thursday to see her. I show up to the gym on Wednesday and Rick says to me, you don't need to be here. You're out for the season. Why don't you just go home today? I was like, great, I'll go home today. So I had booked a flight back at like 6 a.m. on Friday so that I could be in the team photo. When I got to New York and oh, wow. saw the doctor on Thursday morning and he was like, yeah, you need surgery. If you want to play, you need surgery. And I was like, okay. So I called the team and Rick's like, I don't give a fuck about the, the team photo. Like, don't worry about coming back. He's like, but go be with your family for a few days and then come back for the playoffs. I was like, great, I'll do that. So they take the photo. I'm not in the photo. And it just like fuels this. JJ doesn't want to be. Where's JJ? He doesn't want to be in Dallas. You know, <laughs> I already like, know. The, the Internet is like, about stupid stuff like that. I mean, so that's on a very like, you know, small scale. But like for some of these guys who are the face of the franchise or in some cases the face of the league, it's just, it's constant. And like, I, I, I actually feel, I actually feel bad for them. And if you're in the wrong media market as well, it's even worse.
Yeah. Oh, it's even worse. Listen, they are JJ Reddick and Tommy Alton. Their Woo! podcast is The Old Man and the Three. I'm a fan of the show. Thanks so much for joining us on Take Line. Thank guys. you both for having us. JJ, Nick's needing shooting. <laughs> Nick's needs shooting. <laughs> You already you already live on Long Island, JJ. I'm just saying. All right. Uh, Thanks, no comment. Jason, Jason, don't start rumors. <laughs> don't start rumors. Don't answer that. I'm, don't not, say I'm just saying that out loud. That's all I just oh, wanted man. to say. All right. Thank, thank you, y'all. Guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Renee, the uh, the Euro finals was this Sunday. Italy defeated England in dramatic fashion in penalty kicks. And uh, as a result of that, um, there was a wave of racist abuse on social media from fans who are around Wembley Stadium, just directed toward uh, the three black English players who missed penalties, Marcus Rashford, uh, Jaden Sancho, and Bukayo Saka. Um, it was so terrible uh, that Boris Johnson, the prime minister of, of Great Britain, had to make a state. A person who is not uh, what you would call woke or even probably interested in questions about diversity and racial justice and social justice had to make a statement. He said, quote, to those who have been directing racist abuse at some of our players, I say shame on you and I hope you will crawl back under the rock from which you emerge, but also uh, continue to uh, vote Tory. He didn't say that last thing, but like, but uh, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London said those responsible for the disgusting online abuse we have seen must be held accountable. The FA, the football association of England said, we could not be clearer than anyone behind such disgusting behavior is not welcome in following the team. We will do all we can to support the players affected while urging the toughest punishment possible for anyone. William, Queen Elizabeth's grandson, is president of the English Football Association. Um, it's a whole hot mess, Jason. A whole hot mess. Over the course of the last several months, you know, uh, or 12, 12 months, you should say, like English players in the Premier League and uh, four international games and matches have been have been kneeling. And this has been criticized by, uh, you know, many over there who who called it like kind of like essentially gestures that were dividing people. And this just shows, number one, why black athletes uh, in soccer and in international soccer in England in particular yeah. continue to kneel. And you know, just why this is such a, a, a vital issue to them and one that continues to be uh, misunderstood. Really, really, really awful stuff, Renee. And just imagine, like I, like, I know people don't typically just right away put themselves in the other person's shoe, but you got to remember, England lost to Italy. So those players that missed those kicks, those players that didn't necessarily perform to how they would, because here's the spoiler alert that some fans may not realize when they're going at an athlete they wanted to win too like yeah. i don't know why some people when athletes have bad games when athletes play bad they're like oh come on you're taking this thing are you athletes always want to win so for rashford sancho and and Saka, like they they wanted to win so when they missed the kicks you don't think that they already felt bad enough like on their own because again professional athletes know when they're not playing great and know when they are know the opportunities missed so then on top of that, being bummed after losing the game, again, we're talking about a tournament final here. Then you go online and you see just the worst things that you could see. I mean, just really, offensive really language terrible. to the people to and, and to the fact that Boris Johnson had to say something that's, like this. Is, imagine how crazy shocking. that is. Think about how crazy that is that it was so bad that the prime minister, like flip it. If imagine if the U.S. men's or women's national team was getting so badly racially abused by American fans that, like, Joe Biden had to make a statement. That's it's what crazy. we're talking about. 
That's truly, crazy. truly troubling. And listen, I know like, okay, so you, there's no one else that can say this with more confidence. I was a professional athlete for 11 mm-hmm. years. Sports, yes, was a big part of my life. But people got to really remember that we're talking about sports here. So when you start to do things in, in real life, IRL, to where now London's Metropolitan Police said on Monday that they would investigate offensive and racist social media comments being directed towards footballers. Like now when you might actually go to jail for stuff, uh, defaming uh, somebody's property and messing up somebody. What are y'all doing? Like, I like I love sports fans. I love the crazy. Like, I love the crazy support. But what are y'all doing? That's too much. Like, people got to learn the line, Jason. Like, there's a line not to cross. Yeah. It's, and there's, you know, this is unfortunately part of a part of a feels like part of a cultural shift post Brexit, post Trump that is happening yeah. kind of everywhere in the West. Um, yeah. Tyrone Mings, who is a center back for Aston Villa. Uh, responded to uh, Pretty Patel, who is an uh, English conservative politician. Uh, Patel in the past has ca- had called uh, Black Lives Matter protests dreadful, uh, said England fans have the right to boo players who take a knee. She ordered the deportation of some 50 people of, of Jamaican descent, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So she... She made a statement on Twitter where she said, uh, I am disgusted that England players who have given so much to our country this summer have been subject to this vile racist abuse on social media. Uh, And then Tyrone Mings, uh, center back for Aston Villa, responded with, you don't get to stoke the fire at the beginning of the tournament by labeling our anti-racism message as, quote, gesture politics, and then pretend to be disgusted when the very thing we're campaigning against happens, which I think uh, sums it up. Uh, beautifully. This is, you know, uh, racism has very unique and particular forms in different countries and the things that the English uh, footballers are having to deal with are really, really, really crazy. Like imagine Musa Akwanga of The Guardian brings up a great point. It's like, as athletes, it's awful. You're the, right. you're the focus of this. But like, to a certain extent, you get used to it. You 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 can shut out the things that you hear, but 100%. like their 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 families, their loved ones who can't even go online to look at a post or to look at a highlight or or anything like that because they're gonna see these things and they're gonna have to wonder, as I'm sure they all are wondering now, like what if. What if some crazy fan just decides to take it to the next level? Like exactly. That's why you have to stop stuff. That's yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. Like what I meant by there's a line. Like yeah, we play a sport that we love, and I I've been a professional athlete like most of my life, and I say that meaning I've taken sports serious since I was young. Before I went to UConn, before I became a pro athlete, I took basketball serious. So this is coming from somebody who takes basketball very serious. But what are we doing, fans? Like this is this is crossing the line. And 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 that's the thing, Jason, you bring up a point. If you allow fans to continually just nudge the line, cross the yep. line, step over yep. the line, jump on the line. Don't be surprised when something crazy happens, because if you don't like reel it back in, of course, people are going to keep pushing the envelope. And then when it comes to Patel, like anybody that would and, you know, like. We already know the deportation and immigration laws. That's a whole nother topic. But yes. anybody that deports people on the month of Christmas, December, I just like to me, I'm like, come on, bro. Like, that's just that tells you a lot. I'm a big Christmas person. So there's just a lot going on there. But yeah. humanity is a word that people need to really like study, digest, live by just living with a certain human decency to one another. It's really crazy. But like you said, there was a shift in the culture that happened to yes. where people felt that they could say whatever they feel, whether uh-huh. it's rude, inappropriate, borderline, illegal. People felt that they could do things, whatever they felt like they could do, they were doing it. And now we've gotten to the point where people are out of control. They're out of control. Yeah. It's, a, it's a complex, unfortunately complex issue where the people who have the power to do something, which is the social media companies and some politicians, really would rather make statements than than do anything concrete. Uh, Musa in The Guardian writes that uh, in 2019, social media abuse directed at Manchester City's Raheem Sterling and Virgil van Dyke was 27,000% higher than usual. 
27,000. 27,000% higher than usual. I can't and even, I don't even know what that means. The number's I don't so even, high that I'm like, I can't even figure out what that means. I just know it's bad. Like, that's a lot. I, I, I mean, it just feels like if the people who ran some of these social media companies and these platforms were themselves the targets of abuse like this, you feel like it would somehow they'd figure out a way to filter out 27,000%, you know, higher, higher racist abuse. Yeah. We got to do better. This is why people kneel. Okay, so earlier this month, we learned Olympic sprinter Shikari Richardson was given a one-month suspension for testing positive for marijuana and disqualifying her from running the 100 meters in Tokyo. But now we know she will not run at all in the Olympics after not being selected to her women's 4 by one team. So, Jason, I got a lot of thoughts, as I'm sure you know I do, and we'll get into that a little later, but... What do you think about just the rule itself and marijuana being a disqualifying substance? The the rule is obviously it has been outdated, was not based in anything uh, rational or reasonable. But even uh, even more to that point now, today in 2021, when uh, marijuana is legal in half the country and it was legal in the state in which Shikari Richardson was using it and uh no one is under any kind of illusion that it is a performance enhancer at all. Uh, at it, all. This is absolutely ridiculous. You know, I, I'm I'm reminded of this time I was hanging out at a at a Christmas party with some of my friends, right? And there was a there's a store across the street called MedMen, which is like a a, a marijuana dispensary that kind of styles itself to look like an Apple store, like very high tech and all that stuff. And uh, we were talking to uh, the door guy at the at the bar we were at. And he was like, what's the deal with the black guy? He was like, what's the deal with MedMen? And we were like, that's, you just go in there. It's like an Apple store. You go in and you can buy, you buy weed. He was like, you know, just really frustrates me. I did like five years in jail for, for marijuana. And now you can just go across the street and buy it. I think that this is an unfair, unreasonable ruling. And yes, it's on the books. But I think everybody, there's no one who thinks that it should actually be on the books. This should not be on the books. Like, if there was ever a time to say, uh, okay, we'll suspend you uh, in a month after the Olympics for a month, or we'll suspend, you know, we'll uh, issue a one-week, like, something. If there was ever a time to alter the rules, I think it would be now. Um, this doesn't make any kind of sense. And again, it's a, it's a rule that seems like it is, um, that is falling more harshly on a person of color than, than on anyone else. Let Shikari run. Hashtag let Shikari run because what are we doing? Like it's, this is the part where things just don't make sense. Like make it make sense. Common sense has to come through. If this, if we all know and everybody knows because you can't have the stereotype work both ways. You can't have the stereotype be, oh, the people that smoke weed are lazy and don't do anything with their life because weed just makes you lazy. You can't be that guy and then be the same guy that when an Olympic athlete is using it to cope with a lot going on in her world, unexpected death of her biological mother. It's yes. highly documented. You can't in the same breath be like, oh, no, that no, that's against the rules and even though it should make you lazy and tired and you just beat records and you're the favorite to win the 100 meter. Nope. Like you're out because you can't take these drugs. Come on like that. Like make it make sense. And then again, the word is humanity. The Olympics happen every four years. It's not like basketball, football, basketball. We have our trophy, our championship every year, football. We know the Super Bowl. you know, every other, we just talked about, the the fine the tournament finals happening with UEFA yeah. like everybody usually gets their their moment to shine track and field though they don't have that every year something that yeah. we're all tuning into NBA finals WNBA finals Super Bowl event they don't have it so when you take away that from a track and field athlete who the Olympics are their Super Bowl I just think that that's heartless. Like that's so cold blooded. You know that it's not performance enhancing. And then not to let her on the four by one team that, that she could have been. 
that that, that, that could have been they could have just named her to that team and there was no reason to not do to not do it really like so that why that, didn't do that why they didn't yeah. do that like that's crazy to me that's cold-blooded jason like it's it's cold-blooded every four years that's that's the thing i want people to understand like if you don't let Look, a lot of NBA players opt out of playing in the Olympics. They're like, uh-uh, it's contract year. Mm-hmm. I got to get to the money. You know, like that happens with a lot of NBA players. WNBA players is for the honor for us. So we usually have the best of the best play in the Olympics. But, you know, for track and field, I just can't believe that we're not going to let Shikari run. Like hashtag let Shikari run. And there's been an outpour on social media. The supporter list is nearing uh, 600, nearing a goal of 600,000 signatures. Um, it's five, it's at 564,000, you know, as of Thursday evening, but come on, Jason, like, what are we doing now? uh, The other side would say, okay, but the rule is the rule and this is the rule and that's what the rule is. And everybody knew what the rule is. And you can't then penalize, uh, the people who are going to take her place because they follow fine. They work hard as well. It's been hard for all these Olympic athletes who, as the games have been postponed, have had to maintain their training and their and their regimens for a longer time than they were expecting to. But Shakara deserves to run again. This is this Period. is a rule that is that is grounded in a understanding of a substance that is old that is outdated, that is no longer uh, reflective of the current situation in our country. Again, a legal substance in half the country, in the state where she was when she consumed it, and not performance enhancing. This is not a steroid. This is not something that helps you recover. This is not help. This This is a substance that is prescribed by medical professionals and is used for recreational usages across the country legally. And that does not help you run faster. It's it just does not really help sad. you run faster. I just, you know, for the people that are like the buy the book and want to throw the book at you. Look, I get it. I know that a lot of people at work on a day to day basis do something that maybe necessarily is against the rules. Are you supposed to clock in at nine? Are you late? Are you supposed to clock out at five? I'm only saying that because athletes, we got a lot of rules. I, I want people yeah. to understand, like from the athlete point of view. We got a lot of rules. We live our life in front of everybody. No, this isn't a woe is us thing. No, this isn't a yes, athletes get paid a lot of money. It's still I I don't know how to say this to people for them to understand. Making a lot of money does not equate to not having emotions or feelings. So when athletes go through things and they have feelings, even though they have a lot of money or they have a lot of good situations, when they're going through things like the death of your biological birth mother, That ain't no telling how you would handle it. Ain't no telling how I would handle it. I can guarantee you right now, if anything happened to anyone in my family, ain't no telling what I'm going to do. I'm not thinking about, oh, is this against the rules? I mean, maybe I would because I I prepare a lot. There's also the story of Brianna McNeil, who Mm -hmm. now this young lady, first of all, no one wants to talk about what's going on in their personal life, air their laundry out to the world. But Brianna had to because the Olympic Committee came knocking about drug testing a few days after she had gotten an abortion. Well, she let them know, hey, look, I was going through some things. I, You know, I was in my room, sad, devastated, not feeling great. Sorry, I missed the the drug test. I again, another assessment, I think, and there were technicalities where she didn't get the exact date right of when she got the abortion and blah, blah, blah. So to where... But it's human decency. Y'all hear what these people are going through? I I will just say this. I think that there is, with regards to sports in the year of COVID, the year plus of COVID, um, and the things that have had to happen in order for leagues and tournaments and the Olympics to go forward, um, I think that there is a, a tendency amongst you know, I think the general public and of governments and to kind of like give the sponsors, the corporations, the people that organize these these events like a pass in the way they do things and a and much less of a tendency and quite and, and in fact, like a defensiveness against individuals who need that similar break let's can we can we just like let this one slide for shikari no 
But when, you know, uh, the majority of Japanese people who are polled are against the Olympics, don't want it to happen, in fact, are in the midst of a COVID lockdown, guess what? We made, sorry, we made these, uh, we have obligations to our sponsors and to uh, this company and that company, and we just can't do anything about it. We have to, we can't do it. I, there needs to, that needs to be balanced out. That, yeah. However, that works. The rules should not be written in concrete. It's, it shouldn't be written in stone so that nothing can be changed. There just needs to be. We need to, you know, and this is like a much bigger problem than than just I think sports leagues are capable of taking on on their own. This is like governmental stuff. This is this is big, but like there needs to be a, a generally speaking a recalibration about the kind of like obligations people have to uh have to go through to deal with the economy this is just it, it 100%. let shikari run just let her run like the amount of things that normal everyday people in japan now are having to deal with and just so they can have the olympics there like let's let's give uh regular people a break the people who are actually competing in this a break and just let shikari run let shikari it's- run stop playing Goodbye. That is it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out, folks. See you next week. Let's go! Take Line is a crooked media production show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. 